You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let me give you my best Oprah Winfrey impression. You get a trade. You get a trade. You get a trade. Everybody gets a trade. It was deadline day, and it got crazy. Welcome into Crunch Time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here, 402 on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. A little rainy this morning, but settled in quite nicely. Cooled off a little bit here in Southwest Louisiana. My producer and co-host is the one and the only Mr. Math Matherson. What's up, buddy? Mathematical. Mathematical. Oh, man. Phenomenal. What a, what a, what a wild trade deadline, huh? It got pretty interesting, and I like how we got a few extra in right before the buzzer. Th- this has got to be... Snuck in a couple right before the bell. This has got to be one of the most active deadlines in, in recent memory. We anticipated so many going one way. They zigged when we thought they would zag. Did No one anticipated, or we never really heard much the last couple of weeks or days about Calvin Ridley getting traded. Right. That came out of left field. We had, we had heard about it before, whenever right before the suspension happened, if I'm not mistaken. I think we had heard a couple Correct. of rumors, but we, we hadn't heard it resurface until... Boom, the trade happened. <laughs> I mean, you, you look at some of the big names that got traded. I mean, Deion Jones, you all the way back to Deion Jones. That was a that they're considering that a deadline trade. Because it, it came up, well, you know, there's two weeks until the trade deadline. Teams are gonna start talking and so they're considering that a deadline deal. Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, James Robinson. Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith, Bradley Chubb, Bradley Chubb, Kadarius Tony, uh, Calvin Ridley, Naeem Hines. I mean, you had some big names get shipped. Chase Claypool. You know, who would have thought a number top th- three wide receiver? That's what I'm saying. Who would have thought a top three receiver would I mean, get traded? I mean, you know, sometimes it just happens. You got a top three wide receiver that's not a top three wide receiver. He likes to call himself one gets traded, and, and at the same time, a, a guy who's been suspended the entire season for betting on games. And it was funny. Because also he gets actually, traded. It's funny because the game that he had bet on. One of the games he bet on was against the Jags. Yeah. Well, that was the apparently he only made one parlay. Oh, was it only one? And and it was the Falcons beating the Jets, a part of the, <laughs> the parlay. Oh, man. So, yeah, funny you know, how that works. You know. It all comes full circle, am I right? No, oh, 337-706-0111 if you want to get in on the game hotline. Here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast. The oh, my stadium God, Rob. 32.3 and channel 133 <sighs> on LUS Fiber. No teams traded for Henry Ruggs. I'm not sure that Henry Ruggs is ever going to play a down of football ever again. Let's be oh. let's be perfectly honest about that. That's just a Henry Ruggs will be lucky to play a down of football ever again. Uh, but regardless, mo- moving on from that, 
James, which deadline trade impressed you the most or maybe caught you off guard the most? We had talked about Jeff Wilson. Yeah. That that one didn't surprise me because you wanted Elijah Mitchell to be traded, but I had told you teams were looking for Jeff. I understand, and obviously it makes more sense for for Jeff Wilson to get moved, but my thing is, is... You just really wanted Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> I just want Elijah Mitchell to go somewhere where he's actually going to get used. I don't know how much he's going to get used in San Francisco sitting behind Christian McCaffrey. Now, I understand Christian McCaffrey's not going to be out there every single snap. But I just, I don't know. I, I don't feel like now that the Niners have McCaffrey, I don't feel like the Nin- San Francisco is the best place for Eli. So I want Eli, I don't care if it's the Saints or not. I want Eli to go somewhere that he's going to be productive and you know, have the opportunity to to be his best. But, no, I mean, obviously, from a league-wide standpoint, moving Jeff Wilson makes a lot more sense. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by that. The one that really surprised me was Bradley Chubb. Now, I know the Broncos were trying to move him. I was going to say, they've been trying to move him for a while. But the two things that surprised me was, A, who took him, and B, what they gave up to get him. I did not expect a first, a fourth, and a running back to go for Bradley Chubb. Because let's be honest, that fifth rounder that the Broncos, I mean, they just they just threw that in there. The Broncos were like, we don't really need a fifth rounder, so we'll just hand it off to you. It's in 2025 anyway. By then, we'll probably be back winning Super Bowls. Probably their mindset. Um the Kadarius Tony trade was kind of interesting to me as well. I, I didn't really see that coming, and you know, also the, the Chiefs because they they needed another underrated receiver. <laughs> Juju hasn't been doing enough. Need another one. Darn, Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling, you, you're not good enough. <laughs> Let's go get Kadarius Tony. He's he's been pretty mid his whole career. Let's be honest. I mean, he has, but he's he's shown a lot of flashes in Kansas City. And then you talked about Juju and obviously, you know, Travis Kelsey being the the, the godfather that it, that is all, all of all tight ends. Crazy to think that the two greatest tight ends or two of the greatest tight ends in NFL history have both come out of Kansas City. And Tony Gonzalez and Travis Kelsey. That is nuts. Are, are, where, are you, where are you ranking Tony and... Uh... Well, Tony's number one. Okay. He's the greatest tight end of all time. Interesting. Okay, and um, where do you have Travis ranked currently all-time? All-time, I'd, I'd say he's in the top 10. Okay. But probably the lower half of the top 10. By the time he retires, I think he'll be top three. Okay. Why, where do you have Tony Gonzalez? I have Tony, too. Who do you have above him? Gronk. Oh, no. Yes. No, absolutely not. Oh, yes. Absolutely not. Robert Gronkowski, mm-hmm. the greatest tight end of all time. Oh, he's a monster. Oh, my God. Okay. The only concern you ever had was injuries. I mean, that, that's that's fair, I, I guess. The man, the man was is arguably one of the best blockers of all time, and he was just as good at receiving the ball. I mean, look, <laughs> you seen his touchdowns? Let's com- let's compare let's compare their numbers. Oh, let's tough. let's do that. I'm Math Matherson, but you're we're we're gonna we're gonna compare their numbers because Mister Statistical. I I just okay so. Tony Gonzalez played 127 more games. Okay. 
started 126 more. Um, let's see. Passing targets. Tony Gonzalez has nearly 6,000 more yards than Gronk. Gronk does have him beat in yards per catch. Uh-huh. Gronk averaged 15 yards per catch for his entire career. That's insane. That's insane. 15 yards a catch for a tight end. Um, Gronk only has 19 less receiving touchdowns than Tony Gonzalez. Gronk had more receiving yards per game than Tony Gonzalez. Oh, it's it's a lot closer than I thought. It is. It, it's a lot. I, I still think Tony Gonzalez is the best, but it's fair. I mean, he had a lot more longevity than Gronk. It, it is. It but is closer than I thought it would. Anytime be. Gronk was on the field, you the, were you were terrified. The numbers are impressive. The numbers are impressive. On today's show at four thirty, we're going to be joined by Luke Johnson to talk all things New Orleans Saints. At five o'clock, we will be joined by the newest executive director of the RCAF, Mister Trey Frazier. And then at 5.30, it's To the Moon Tuesday with our guy Apollo Des of Apollo H-O-U. Once again, 337-706-0111. Speaking of the Houston Astros, how about breaking news? Jeremy Pena has been named the Golden Glove winner for the shortstop position in the American League. How about that, a rookie? I was going to say, look the rook. Getting, getting a gold glove. That's impressive. The first rookie shortstop to ever win a Golden Glove Award. So shout out JP3, as we call him in Astro Land. So we'll uh, we'll talk more about that with Apollo Des at 530. We, and again, we will talk Saints and Cajuns throughout today's show as well. Speak while we're on the subject of the Astros, James. I've got something that I want to get to. So, obviously, the Astros are in the World Series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Game three is tonight. Uh, game four is tomorrow, and game five is Thursday. You can hear it on the here on the game. Absolutely. Absolutely, positively. Also, Thursday night is Thursday Night Football. Correct the mundo, muchacho. And it'll be the Philadelphia Eagles uh-huh. against the Houston Texans. Yeah. First of all, I think it's wild that it lined up that way. Just. It was fate. Maybe, or maybe the system's rigged. Who knows? But, uh, I'm kidding. Maybe. The, Possibly. The, the, the conversation that I want to have is the fact that there's actually, a, to, to, according to some people, a debate about what to watch Thursday night. Now look, if you are not a baseball fan, like at all, fair, go for it. Watch Thursday Night Football. Eat your little heart out. I don't care. But if you're a fan of both sports, like a lot of people are. And you're stuck. The undefeated Eagles and the 1-5-1 Texans versus a gridlocked World Series. Because let's face it, they're probably going to split 3-4 and four, and it's going to be 2-2 two, two, Game 5 Thursday night. I'm not sure. Like, come on. How is that a conversation? You know what that reminds me of? Uh, whenever it was 2015, when people are like, 
do I want to watch the Warriors try and be 73 and 9, or do I want to watch Kobe's farewell game? That's tougher. Not really. That's tougher. Eh. That's tougher. It was a, You knew it was going to be a blowout with the Warriors game. Yeah, but you still want to say that I watched it. Oh, so it's a farewell versus a. a I mean, a, a, a blowout game. Kobe, Kobe won that one for me because I watched Kobe's farewell game. But again, I, I could get where some people would say, "Oh, I watched the game when the Warriors set the record for the most wins in history, or or whatever." So that's a little different. I mean, the Texans are going to lose thirty-five to three. I mean, that's going to be the beating of a lifetime. Who wants to watch that? You couldn't pay me to turn that on. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. Ray, what's going on? What's happening, man? Hey, man, I've, I've been listening to y'all for the longest, but I, I'm always working. I normally catch Kevin Foot in the morning. So i tell you what I got to say. I, I, hey, look. My love for sports, number one, is always football. But come tonight, tomorrow, and Thursday, I'm sorry, man. I'm a Houston Astro fan, man. I know where I'm going to be at. Absolutely. I'm be watching my Astros trying to whip butt and win another World Series. That's what I'm going to be doing. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't blame you. Because, I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I love football, and normally I'd watch the Thursday night football game too. But if you've got to compare game five of the World Series – yeah, and, yeah. There's no question X. Yeah, I mean, hands down. I mean, come on, man. I mean, I, I'm hoping that uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that they could get it done this time around, man. I mean, I, 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 I think the so. pitching gonna maybe pull us through, but uh, yeah, man. I I'm sorry, man. I I, I gotta go with baseball. Somebody might say differently. And I mean, and look, look. I'm be honest with y'all. Let me say it like this too. Like I say, for me, football number one. But if the Saints was playing Thursday night and Houston playing, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm a, I'm gonna be more into watching Houston Astros than the Saints. I mean, you know, as long as you know they get a W, that's fine. But I mean, come on, I'm trying to win the World Series. I'm not trying to see a football game. Y'all have a go. Appreciate the call. Yeah. You know, I'd if it was the Saints, I'd I would try to figure out a way to watch both. Um but but I do get what you're saying. The Astros take precedence here. Um I agree, and this is also coming from a football guy. And, and but going back to it, you know, he, he said hopefully that they can pull it out this time. Dude, they have to, because as a lifelong Astros fan, the last two losses in the World Series hurt so bad. I don't know that I could take a third one. I don't know that I could see it happen again. So please, for the love of God, find a way to win the World Series. Hitting needs to come alive, even more than it already has. Pitching, Justin Verlander's got to win a World Series game. You, got, you just have to. Got to find a way. Um, so hopefully the Astros can do that, and it starts tonight as they head to the city of brotherly love to take on the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 3 of the World Series, and you can listen to every pitch, clutch hit, and thrilling moment tonight on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 6.30. First pitch is set for 7.03, and once again, you can listen to it all live on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a timeout here, and when we return, we'll have audio from Dennis Allen and the New Orleans Saints. 
as well as Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. We'll do that next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. King Tuck also gets a gold glove. That's two gold glove winners in the Houston Astros lineup. That's pretty impressive. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Let's go to the hotline now. Frank, what's going on? Not a lot. How you are, Bo? Oh, fantastic, man. What you got? What you think this win does for New Orleans? I think it gives them some confidence and it gives them some momentum. Um, I'm not ready to say that you know they're they're back to you know being a playoff contender or anything like that. Absolutely not. Uh, I know a lot of people watch offense to you know see points and points and points. Uh, what impressed you most about the defense? The way that they were able to smother the the offense that was third in the league in scoring. Amen. I mean, that Did was. Did you see the way they played together? I think I think maybe Dennis Allen just just said, you know, look, Demario, whenever you feel like blitzing, if you think you can make it, go. The on, the the one player I was impressed the most with was Warner. That oh, kid was all over the place. He's and he he's been that way most of the season. I mean, he's been the one guy on the defense that has been consistent week in and week out. But he was impressive on Sunday. I agree. I'm, is he underrated? I think so. I think so too. I mean, <clears throat> his pass breakup. I mean, I I'll, I'll call a spade a spade. They they did get lucky because after I looked at it, you know, that interception, uh, they would have booth reviewed it. That would have been overturned because the ball did hit the ground. Yep. But he was there to force it. You know, uh, he, he makes tackles. Um, Saints defense played smothering defense. Um, I, I just thought it was an all-around victory. I, I enjoyed the shutout, but I love the way the defense played together. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when you hold Devontae Adams to only one catch, I mean, you, you're kidding. You're doing something right. Absolutely. And uh, what, what was their running back when, like, the – third leading running back in the league. Well, yeah, he had had 140-plus the last three games, and you held him to 45. Yeah, on how many carries? You know what I mean? Ten so, carries. So, I mean, it, it was a complete shutdown. Uh, uh, and when they, when, they, when they lost the run, they had to go to the air, and the Saints shut that down too. And what nope. was more impressive, uh, Marshawn Lattimore was not there. Alante Taylor stepped up huge on Sunday. Huge, big time. You know, so – I'm not saying that 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 this is going to propel the Saints into you know a, a undefeated rest of the season, but man, winning changes the culture oh, so much. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate y'all taking my call, boys. Y'all doing a great job. Appreciate you, Frank. You know, one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about is let's not forget that Sean Payton paid a visit to Airline Drive last week. Now, you know. Whether that had anything to do with their performance on Sunday, I don't know. But if he was in the facility, you have to imagine that he talked to the team. So maybe he lit a fire under him. I don't know. But either way, Saints need to keep doing what they were doing on Sunday because it was impressive nonetheless. So once again, Kyle Tucker getting named Gold Glove in right field. Jeremy Pena again becoming the first shortstop ever to win a Gold Glove. 
first rookie shortstop ever to win a gold glove. Excuse me. Interesting statistic, James, about the Astros before we get back to the Saints and LSU. Carlos Correa won the gold glove at shortstop last year for the Astros. And Jeremy Pena did it this year. Before that, the Astros hadn't had a gold glove winner at shortstop since 1973. So to have back-to-back, that's it's impressive. Pretty damn good. Yeah, that's impressive. So just had to throw that out there once again. Game three of the World Series is tonight for the Houston Astros against the Philadelphia Phillies. Let's go to the LSU Tigers. Brian Kelly met with the media yesterday, and he offered an injury update on Major Burns and Garrett Dellinger. So Major Burns uh, is cleared uh, to participate, so he'll be out at practice today. So he, as you can imagine, will be in our game plan, and we expect him to play and and be an important part of what we do. Uh, Garrett Dellinger is day-to-day. He had a good weekend. He was here this weekend. As you can imagine, that's a little bit different because he's got to be able to take a load on that knee. And, you know, when you're coming back from a knee injury, it's easier to obviously not have to worry about running and cutting, but you've got to be able to take the load, and that's what we're working on right now. Uh, we think we're going to get him there, but it's, it's still a process because now we're going to add practice onto it. And so we got to see how he responds each day after practice. We, we had people leaning on him individually over the weekend. Now we're going to be leaning on him for a full practice, and we'll see how it goes. But he's making good progress. The Tigers will face their best quarterback that they have faced all season, and Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner from a year ago. Brian Kelly was asked if the process against or in preparation for quarterback would be the same. Against a guy like Brian, against a guy like Bryce Young. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know making sure that um, you don't give up um, big plays. Uh, you got to minimize those. Staying in coverage. Um, you know, if he scrambles for a few yards here and there, um, that's going to happen within the realm of the the structure of the offense or defense. But it's coming out of coverage. It's losing your eyes and not staying disciplined. If you've got a man, you've got to be able to lock on it. And then, you know, we've got to be able to tackle him when we get our opportunities. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, he breaks down your defense when he scrambles, and he's so intuitive and can make those plays happen. I think what we're concerned more is is turning in. Uh, turning a smaller play into larger plays. Staying on the topic of the Tigers, Matt McMahon met with the media ahead of their season opener next week, and he laid it out very simply. Going from a school like LS, going from a school like Murray State to a school like LSU in year number one, he has no expectations, and he's laid out simple goals. I'm not sure what the expectations are or what they should be. I, I know what our goals are, and. While very boring, it's simply, you know, how do we build this group of talented players into the best team that we can be? And I think from that standpoint, the foundation has to be how hard you work, has to be uh, creating some buy-in to the program, to the coaching staff, and and more importantly, to each other as as teammates. So I'm pleased with the progress there, uh, but still a long way to go. Matt McMahon was also asked, what has he seen in K.J. Williams since he got him in Murray, Kentucky, five years ago? Well, I think in the recruiting process, usually you identify their basketball talent first. And so 
first time we saw him and started the recruiting process, you saw his size, obviously, at six foot ten, his skill level. As a freshman, he shot almost 70% from the floor. Uh, you've seen him expand his game over the years with his three-point shooting, uh, his ability to score with either hand in the post. Uh, but then after the basketball, once you identify the talent in the recruiting process, you start your homework on who they are as a person. He's a high-character young man. Uh, he's a great teammate. Uh, he just wants to impact winning. And for us, that's going to be critical. He's the oldest guy on the team. This is his fifth year of college basketball. Uh, so for him, whether it's through leading by example or by using his voice, he has to develop into that leadership role for our team. Going to the Saints now, Dennis Allen talked about the, the win on Sunday, and he was asked what led to their improved run defense against the Raiders. Well, look, I, you know, what led to the improved play is I think we, they, you know, um, I feel like we, we, you know, we had a couple of days to kind of get refreshed a little bit, um, you know, and, and I think we played with better pad level. Uh, I think our fundamentals and technique were better in this game. Yeah, so you asked me about a head-scratcher in terms of, you know, run defense. Yeah, certainly um, I don't think that we stopped the run as well up front, you know, as we have in, in, in years past. And then I think some of the, you know, leaky yardage and tackling, you know, affected that too. So, uh, but, you know, really the focus is, is is to try to continue to improve and to continue to get better. I thought we did that this past week. and. You know, hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that. Veteran linebacker Demario Davis spoke with the media as well, and he talked about rookie standout corner Alante Taylor. That's phenomenal. Um, that is the standard for that position. Um, that's the type of games that we need to have. And um, man, for a guy like him to just go out there and play like he did, uh, you know, put on display why why the Saints took him so high. And the type of player he is, just a ton of energy and a ton of effort. Um, he's a, a young kid that that clearly, uh, or uh, a young guy that clearly cares about about the game. You know, um, in the amount of time he's putting in the classroom, in the film room, um, just a, a, a real football guy. And it's it's good when you see guys like that have success. So uh, it was great to have him play like that that game, and we need more of that. The New Orleans Saints will be taking on the Baltimore Ravens this Monday night, and the game will get you ready for the primetime matchup. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnson Street from 4 to 6 p.m. Come hang out with the fellas, enjoy the ice-cold beverages and tasty burgers this Monday night as the Saints take on the Ravens. It's Twin Peaks, eats, drinks, scenic views. Take a time out. Luke Johnson joins us next for a conversation about those New Orleans Saints right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Had a rough day at work. Got lady problems. Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 436 on the clock. Let's continue the Saints conversation, and let's do it with our guy, Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Advocate. How you doing, Luke? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, appreciate you always coming on and coming on for the station in general. 
Now, looking at it, first question, I mean, with the trade deadline being concluded, the black and gold weren't a part of it. Does that surprise you? No, not really. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the only alternative would have been that they were sellers, right? Yeah, I think people were kind of talking about that as a possibility going into this past weekend's game. I don't know how legit that was as even a thought in the Saints front office, but when you look at what they what they have in terms of future assets, what they are right now is a three and five team who just finally in its eighth game of the year played its first like real good football game. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it, it doesn't surprise me at all that they weren't active in trying to add to the team. Um, just, you know, I, I think you gotta you gotta be responsible with with, uh, with what you have, especially just considering how aggressive they have been um, with their future assets in the, in the last twelve months or so. Um, you know, the trade that they're making is is getting some of these guys back healthy. That's that's the addition they're making to the roster. Yeah, we usually don't hear them be sellers. I think the last time they had traded somebody was like at least big. The last one I can remember was Brandon Cooks back in after the 2016 season. But they were we were hearing that they were getting calls but also making calls. If you were Mickey Loomis, who would you have traded away slash for? Um, I mean, I, I would have you know, if, if I were making a trade to try to strengthen this team, I'd, I'd probably look for a running back. Um, yeah, I think the, the cost on those guys is typically a, a little bit lower than some of the other you know, deals we saw being made today. We saw you know, Chase Claypool, who I think is a decent NFL wide receiver, pretty good NFL wide receiver, but not like this, this like superstar talent. Uh, going for a second-round pick today, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a lot. Um, Bradley Chubb, who I think is a, a pretty a pretty good young NFL pass rusher who's about to be uh, you know, very rich this offseason. You know, he's gonna he's gonna need a big contract and then a first round pick. Um, yeah, I think running backs you could look at guys going more for uh, a fourth or a fifth. Right. So that's that's kinda what I was anticipating. If they did make a move today it would be for uh, for that position, especially considering Mark Ingram is gonna be you know on the shelf for probably about a month with an MCL sprain in his knee. Um Saints don't have a lot of depth behind him right now. Um Dwayne Washington, I think, has been fine every time he's gotten an opportunity, but um, yeah, he hasn't gotten many to, to prove what he can do as an actual running back in the league. Um, and then you got you know, guys like Jake Funk and Jordan Howard on the practice squad. I just um, yeah, that would have been the area I would have would have tried to shore up, just so you're not you know, having to have Alvin Kamara touch the ball 28, 30 times a game and risk uh, any sort of health issues with him as the season goes on. Luke, on the Michael Thomas front, there, there's some reports going around that he could return to practice this week, and right now it's looking at about a 50-50 chance that he plays on Monday. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, I, I think we we saw him. Uh, I guess it was last Monday. Um, we saw him briefly, like right before uh, the team did the open period of practice that they're able to watch. Um, you know, which suggested he was there for the walkthrough portion, um, which tells me that he's at least you know working his way back. Uh, but they've been offering little to nothing in terms of details on on what's been going on with him, what's been kind of holding him back, um, how close he might be. You know, the the kind of standard line we get from him is he's progressing. So, um, you know, I think until I see him actually out there practicing, I'm just going to keep holding my breath on that. 
Now, somebody that we've been praising the last couple of days for his amazing performance on Sunday was Alante Taylor. Can you see him making kind of taking over Paulson Adebo's spot if he continues to bring the energy and play well? Well, I, I think he's definitely going to be on the field. I don't know if it's going to be taking over Adebo's spot, though. Um, yeah, the, the thing that's that's always been a curiosity with him is, is we don't know if he's if he's a guy who can play in the slot. Um, because we didn't really get to see much out of him, right? I don't think he played in a single preseason game because he was dealing with injuries in training camp. Um, and, you know, when he's finally healthy to get back on the field, um, he's getting plugged in as an injury replacement on the outside, and then he goes on IR for another four weeks, and then right right now, again, he comes back in the lineup. He's an injury replacement on the outside, so we don't really even know if he can play slot. Um, and I think he just in terms of the physical profile, looks like a little bit more natural for that position. I think Adebo is like a little bit more natural for the outside corner position. Um, but you, like we just, it's one of those things where you know we, we haven't seen it. Uh, so you know, I think I think he's going to be on the field regardless. Um, whenever Marshawn Lattimore is able to come back, you know, he's he's clearly somebody who brings a little bit of a, a little bit of an edge to that defense. He's very physical. Uh, he's a great athlete, um, and he's obviously really sharp. I and mean, you, you, you don't get to be a rookie who's stepping in and, and making plays like that unless you really totally understand what's going on. Um, so he'll, he'll be on the field. I'm just I'm not ready to say he's going to be supplanting Paulson to Debo, um, who, by the way, let's not forget he had a tremendous training camp. It looked like he was ready to uh, like really ascend. Um, and then you know he's, he's kind of playing through injury, and he hasn't looked very good during the regular season. But I, I don't I don't think it's time to give up on him yet either. Um, I, I think they have a very very strong core of young defensive backs in that room right now. Chatting with Luke Johnson of the New Orleans Advocate, Luke, looking at the quarterback situation, you know Andy Dalton played well on Sunday, bouncing back from the game in Arizona. Are you rolling with him until he, you know, starts to regress, or are you looking to start Jameis Winston as soon as possible? No, I, I think they're rolling with him. Um, look, I, yeah, I think they're what they're saying without saying is, is um, you know, they, they like the way Andy comes in there and operates the offense. Um, yeah, they, they were talking about uh, the fact that. You know he's in there, and he he took his his deep shot when it was there. He had that thirty yard pass to Rashid Shahid um, early in the game, and they like that he does that. You know he's he's hit some of the the, the deep shots. Um, he hit Shahid for the fifty yard touchdown. He had that really nice seam throw to Chris Olave against Minnesota to set up a potential game time field goal in the fourth quarter. Like he can make those throws, but I think what they like about it is um, that if it's not there, he's going to find the open guy. And that's you know kind of how this offense thrived, um, you know, in that kind of 2017 to 2020 stretch, right? They 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 were very efficient. They didn't take the unnecessary risks. They made the throws that were there. And if the throw that's there is a deep throw, then take it, you know, hit it. But uh, otherwise, you're 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 just living to play another down. You're hitting the six, seven, eight yard throws. Uh, you're setting yourself up in a manageable third down situation. Uh, and I think he's done that. And I think he's also made a, a, a point out of getting Alvin Kamara involved in the passing game. Um, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Um, and and you know, last week, obviously, was a big one. Nine catches for 96 yards out of Kamara. Yeah, that's, you take that like every single week. And Andy's done a really good job 
keeping him involved. So, yeah, I think as, as long as the wheels don't like completely fall off of this thing, I think you got to ride with him. He's, he's yeah, I think he's earned that. Now, with, with that shutout win over the Raiders on Sunday, do you feel that maybe the, the tide has started to turn a little bit for this Saints team? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll keep saying it. I, I got to see it to believe it, right? I, you know, I think this is it's kind of it's kind of like the good version of the team we were kind of expecting to see this year, right? I, I think they played really, really great defense. They, they got a lot of production out of their front four. They stopped the run. Um, you know, they ran the ball well on their side. They didn't give up a bunch of sacks. They didn't turn the ball over. Like these are all the things that they've done well in the past, right? And these are all things that we kind of anticipated to see out of them this year. But that was the first time in eight games that we've seen it. So I would really, really love to say that that's that's who they're going to be. Um, but they got to show that, that this is something they can consistently do. Um, and yeah, I think they'll have a chance to do that, right? I think they can beat Baltimore if they play like that again. Um, I think they can beat anybody else on their schedule. Um, but you know, I, I, I just hesitate to say that this is a sign of things to come because. Because you know what we've seen in the first seven games before that was was a team that was kind of in disarray. So uh, you know, and I think the Saints players and coaches would agree with me there. You know, they they want to see the, them consistently play that way before they're you know, before they're a team that that is really going to be taken seriously by anybody. How do you see the Saints matching up with Baltimore on Monday? I mean, they won't have Rashad Bateman, but New Orleans has had some trouble the last few years trying to contain running quarterbacks. Yeah, and and Lamar Jackson is not you know just a running quarterback, right? He's, <laughs> yeah. he's like a cheat code back there. Um, you know, it's it's like, yeah, the guy is unreal. Um, they have not had success against running quarterbacks, and this is a, just a completely different animal. So, um, I, I don't really, I don't really like the defensive matchup. But to be honest, I, I think I like the way the Saints' offense matches up against the Baltimore defense. Baltimore's had a hard time containing uh, opposing passers this year. Um, I, I think their their pass defense ranks right about where the Raiders did. Um, and yeah, I think the Saints found a lot of room to go, uh, you know, make plays against that defense. Um, so yeah, I think they can hang in there. Um, but I, I think it's going to have to be. You know something more along the lines of of the way they played against Seattle or or uh, or Cincinnati, you know, where they're having to kind of score to keep up. Because I just I've just seen this defense struggle too many times against uh, uh, you know running quarterbacks of all kinds. Whether that's you know Jalen Hurts or even a guy like Daniel Jones had a pretty good game against them. Um, and again, <laughs> Lamar is a completely different animal, man. So um, I think they're going to have to score some points to really hang in there. And lastly, you know, earlier we were talking about the trade deadline. Roquan Smith is is another player that got moved going to the Baltimore Ravens. How much do you expect to see from Roquan Smith Monday night in the Superdome? Well, I mean, he's got he's got a full week, right? Um, they traded for him. I, I guess the trade went through on Monday. They don't play till Monday, so you know they, they're going to have some time to get him in the in the system. And I, I think um, the defenses are a little bit easier to acclimate to than offenses. Because, you know, Pretty much every defense runs some variation of the same thing. Right? Different coverages, uh, you know, alignments are all very similar. You just have different names for them. So, you know, I, I would expect to see quite a bit of them out there. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much he'll impact. You know, you, you still got to get used to playing with new teammates and everything like that. So I, I don't know if they're going to have 
just a game wrecker in there from play one. Um, but I, I definitely expect to see him out there. I expect to see a lot of them too. Luke Johnson, New Orleans advocate, has been our guest talking about the New Orleans Saints. Appreciate you, Luke, for coming on, and hopefully have you on soon next time. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. And that was Luke Johnson breaking down the Saints as we're getting ready to take on the Baltimore Ravens. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, but when we come back, we're going to have more crunch time as we get ready for hour number two. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side, Stanley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. A shot to left field, going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time as we're at wrapping up hour number one. And as we came back, just got a tweet from Julia Morales recently giving us the game three lineup. Of course, we got Jose Altuve at the one, Jeremy Pena at two, Jordan at three. Those are pretty standard. Bregman at four, Kyle Tucker at five, Yuli Gariel at six. But here's the kicker David Hensley. At DH in the seven hole, and then Chaz at eight, and then Martin Maldonado at nine. Yeah, I mean that's not really surprising. Well, I we never I never hear about David. That's well, the thing. I never I never hear about him. He was a September call up. Yeah, he he spent the, most of the year in the minors, and and he's he was a September call up that that has actually worked out pretty well for them. Um, he he's appeared in a couple postseason games thus far, but yeah, you know. I hear I hear about I hear about Trey Mancini a lot more than I've heard about David. Well, right, but Mancini has been awful. I was gonna say that that trade's been quite a disappointment. Awful. So in the 2022 regular season, Hensley appeared and he went to the plate 29 times for the Astros, and he hit 3.45 with 10 hits, one home run, and five RBIs. And so far in the postseason, he's only gone to the plate once, and he was walked. Um, so, I mean, he, he's, he's gotten his opportunities and, you know, he, he's done pretty well for the Astros. Uh, he's young, he's 26. Um, so, you know, they, they see him as a, as a guy that can really, you know, swing the bat well and maybe provide a spark at that DH spot. But yeah, I mean, Mancini, as much as I loved that trade because I did. I was a huge fan of that deal. It has been horrible. It I mean, brutal. You you had mentioned the walk. That kind of reminded me whenever I played baseball. You know how you always talked about how you were afraid to hit people or get hit? Yeah. So that's why you stopped football yeah. so fast? I remember for me, I don't know if I've mentioned this on air, but I got hit really early as a kid by baseball. So and you were scarred for life. Uh, I was scarred. I've gotten better about it now. I'm not. I'm not as scared anymore. But when I was playing, anytime I'd go up to plate, I was, I was too. I was so afraid to hit the ball. Standing three feet off the plate. Oh no! I would scrunch <laughs> down to to make the the uh, the strike zone a lot smaller. Oh man! I thought I could cheat the system with that. Yeah. So you, I was like, you, please you, walk me, please, you, please, please let me just go go to first base and be done with this, please. 
Oh That's all God. I ask for. Game three is tonight, 7.03. Tomorrow at 7.03 as well. And then game five at 7.03 on Thursday before they hopefully return to Houston for games six and seven on Saturday and Sunday. In hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Trey Frazier, the executive director of the RCAF. His hiring by the University of Louisiana was announced earlier today, and he will join the show at the top of the hour to discuss his new position, a little bit of what he's done in the past, and what fans can expect from the RCAF going forward. And then at 5.30, we're going to do To the Moon with Apollo Des of Apollo H-O-U. But that's going to just about do it for our number one here of Crunch Time on this Tuesday. Once again, 706-0111 is the game hotline for our number two. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Bikes, Brews, and Omelets 2 returns this weekend. You can enjoy some of the best cycling in South Louisiana and finish the day with food, beer, and live music. Register now at latrail.org for a variety of routes ranging from 10 to 100 miles. Saturday's path explores St. Martin Parish and ends up at Taunt Marie with hot gumbo, and Sunday starts and finishes in Abbeville just in time for the giant omelet celebration. Sign up at latrail.org. Hour number two, right after this top of the hour sports update. You are listening to the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Don't go anywhere. More crunch time after this. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two on a Tuesday afternoon. It's Crunch Time here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Met me, guess James Mesh, 337-706-0111 if you want to get in on the game hotline. To kick off hour number two, we are joined by the new executive director of the Raging Cajuns Athletic Foundation. He's also the deputy AD for the athletic department. And he comes to Louisiana with experience at Missouri, UAB, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, and Conference USA, we are joined by Mr. Trey Frazier. Trey, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you, sir? I am good. I appreciate you guys having me on and uh, letting me just uh, introduce myself to Cajun Nation a little bit. So so first off, i got to tell you, welcome to Acadiana, and are you ready for the culture shock that you are going to experience? <laughs> i got to tell you, um, the welcome I have gotten from uh from the Lafayette folks has been pretty unbelievable, almost overwhelming. And, um, you know, I still got to work on some of the pronunciations and stuff like that, but super excited to be here and be a part of the community and, and make it home for sure. I'm, I'm sure there's some people that can put together a pronunciation guide and can help you out. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, you know, the, the process, you know, share with us what you can, at least, you know, the, 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 the process of ending up here in Lafayette. Yeah. So, um, 
started. I, I've known Brian Maggard for a few years now. College athletics is a, is a pretty small industry. Um, everybody seems to know each other if you're in it long enough. And and um, he reached out a few months ago just about um, the chance to come down here and, and lead the the RCAF team and told me about what was going on. And obviously I'd followed from afar the success happening on the field, both in football and, of course, the diamond sports and softball and baseball and just seeing what he'd done in, in five years here and um, was excited to learn uh, what his vision was and and so when he uh, presented the opportunity to come lead the team and, and tried to generate some revenue for for the Raging Cajuns, I uh, I jumped all over it for sure. It was uh, it was a no brainer for me to come learn from him and and try to make things happen here. So whether it be the facilities, the the culture, obviously you know you talked about your relationship with with Dr. Maggard and, and seeing what he's done. What really stood out to you about you know the University of Louisiana? I think the culture is a big part of it. I grew up in in Dallas, and um, you know the the Southern culture is one thing, but the Cajun culture and the welcoming folks that uh, really just want to see this area grow and succeed was was a big drawing factor. Um, facilities are are great here, especially for the group of five. I was telling him um, when in EK Long and saw the renovation for volleyball on my interview, and there's not many. Um, a group of five schools that have a volleyball only facility better or less one that nice and so i think we can continue to build on things like that uh we got to do some things uh for football and keep investing in baseball and basketball and i think success will continue to happen but the nice thing is the passion for the for the program the passion for the departments already built We've just got to go build relationships and ask people to continue to support us, and I think we'll continue to to build on what he's already started here. So, Trey, talk about the experience that you have. You know, I mentioned a couple of the stops that you've made throughout your your career. Talk about some of the experiences that you have and what you can bring to the RCAF. Yeah, I hope uh, folks that that have read read the release or read read what I've done at different places have seen that. Um, I've been able to to help things grow at every place that I've been. So started at uh, Virginia Tech was really where I I would say I cut my teeth in development fundraising. And what we did there is um, take the base of support from about 9,000 donors to 15,000 donors and grew our our annual fund, which is our scholarship fund support, by about seven or eight million. And and really what that came down to was was making a simple model that people could understand what they were giving to and what the impact it was having and really getting that message out to as many people as we could while while I was in Blacksburg. And I've taken kind of that similar mentality um, every place that I've been. You know, UAB is a unique story. Obviously, they cut football in 2014, and when I started there in 2017, we were raising money to bring that program back, um, and and it was really fun to get out and hear the story and, and help the success of, of that program in the last four or five years. Um, but what I learned there is, is the impact that an athletic department can have on the community itself. I got into this industry to, to impact student-athletes. I was a student-athlete at Dallas Baptist and uh, feel strongly about providing an education for young people and their their experience here 
um, in college, but but Birmingham showed me that if we can get a community behind a department, not only can the athletic department succeed, but you can help drive economic development to that community. You can help drive enrollment to the university, and I think that's what we can do um, here as well. So I hope I can kind of bring a mix of all that and, and adapt it to what fits here at Louisiana. We want to want to do something that fits here and, and help us grow. You know, Trey, you talked about the work that you did at VT in Blacksburg with the, you know, the the benefits model and and the priority points and doing it on a per seat donation basis. That's very similar to what Louisiana has already done with the RCAF. You know, talk about how you can use your experience with that model and, and make the RCAF even better than it was. Yeah, I think we've got a good foundation. Like you said, it's a, it's a pretty simple model to understand. I think there's some things we can continue to simplify. I know we've got like, for example, for baseball to, to get a, a premium seat, you've got to give to the annual fund and you've got a per seat donation and you've got to pay the tickets. If you've been doing it for a long time, you probably understand it pretty easily, but I think we can continue to kind of simplify that a little bit. Um, I think the messaging is the most important thing. Um, we've got to continue to increase our budget if we're going if we're going to compete and grow and get better. And so, um, you know, people coming out need to be able to get tickets simply. They need to understand what they're doing, and they need to understand what those dollars are going to. And that's really all we did at Virginia Tech. We worked hard to get that message out in as many ways as possible. We we had town hall meetings. We had things branded on the field. We had Zoom meetings. We went and, of course, met face-to-face with people, and I think that's the kind of hard work that ended up paying off. I think here, like you said, that model's already in place. We've just got to get that message out as why we need people in the stands and why it's a fun thing to do with the community, too. Chatting with Trey Frazier, the new executive director of the RCAF. You know, what what new initiatives, if any, you know, I, I know you, you've only been here a couple of days now, but what, yeah. looking at the RCAF, what new initiatives would you like to bring to the foundation? Yeah, I think I'm still evaluating that a little bit. Uh, day two, maybe not even finished with day two, right? Um, but we've got to grow our base of support. So I've done some unique things at other places. Um, they call them donor drives or membership drives, and, and I think we can do some cool things um, related to maybe some, like, parish competitions or different ways to get people involved that maybe aren't coming to games every single day. Um, but I, I'd like to look at that a little bit deeper just so um, it's not all about getting tickets and parking, even though we want people to come to games as well. Um, and then really other than that, continue to evaluate our model and, and how we're doing things and how we can get uh, more people involved. I think our creative and marketing team here does a really good job with content on you know getting scores out, getting big plays out, but I think we can continue to uh, collaborate with them on on how we generate revenue for the department and and keep uh, keep that front of mind in the messaging as well. So a um, little bit general there, but I'm on day two, so give me a little grace on that. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. A couple more for you. You know, at, during your time at UAB, you you under you talked about bringing back the football program. Obviously, UAB just underwent a, a new stadium, so obviously there was some some fundraising involved for that that stadium. Talk about your experience with with that, and you know, obviously, Cajun Field is is in the process of being renovated. So, you know, how similar would would, would the two things be in your in your eyes? Yeah, I think it'd be pretty similar. Um, 
I know we've got good plans on on premium areas and and what those will look like, but it's my uh, kind of first task to get in and develop a, a sales plan of of price points and how we're going to communicate that to people and how we're going to prioritize folks that have been loyal to us and, and getting the opportunity to buy those things. And so, um, really, it's all about communicating. And luckily, I think we've got a little time to put that plan together and communicate it and get those things sold. But they're, they're an important part of the funding for the, for this project as well. So, um, it's going to be that experience at UAB is going to be really, um, invaluable as we put the plan together here. It was a little unique in that that stadium is actually owned by the convention center, but we had the full, um, rights to all the premium areas other than the suites were sold as a, as a part of the funding model. And I believe that's similar similar to here. Most of our suites are, are um, already already called for. So um, I think we'll kind of look at that and some other places that have built stadiums in the last 10 years, see what works for us, and, and try to get that message out as soon as we can just to uh, give us time to, to get people to comprehend it and let it sink in and, and start selling seats. Trey Frazier, the new executive director of the RCAF, joining us here on Crunch Time. Trey, really appreciate your time. Welcome to Acadiana. Congratulations, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. And there he goes, Trey Frazier, the new executive director of the RCAF. If you want to get in on the game, hotline's 337-706-0111. James, we, we talked earlier about the trade deadline one team I really want to spend a minute or two talking about is the Buffalo Bills so the Bills were already scary for for lack of better word they were just scary you go acquire Naeem Hines not that you needed another running back but they said you know what why not let's let's see what we could do here let's make it a three-headed backfield and then you went get Dean Marlowe which, you know, average corner, he, he, he's nothing special, but he's a good piece, and you only got you only gave up a seventh rounder to get him. Yeah. I mean, that would be, and if it goes every, if it goes well, I mean, right. that'll, that'll just be Mr. Relevant. And, th- and then the, the news that Tredavious White is coming off the pup list today. Oh, my God. Do we, do we just hand the Lombardi Trophy to Orchard Park now? <laughs> Well, I mean, considering there, there's one team left that's undefeated, and it's not the Buffalo Bills. Undefeated, schmeated. Like what? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I respect the Eagles. Don't get me wrong, but am I am I crazy for not being super impressed by what they've done? A little bit, I would say. I mean, they don't even. Ha- have there been times where you're like, you haven't, you didn't really score the second half? Yeah, you could look at that. But then at the same time, it's like you dominated so well in the first half. It's like you don't have to play. That that's them taking the foot off the gas because like, look, we're not looking to try and run up the score sixty to zero every week. I mean, you're just they they've looked so impressive in my eyes, and it just proved even more because you thought, well, Steelers they could do something if if they get on a roll, but no, they just absolutely steamrolled them. Yeah, I mean, you opened up the season with the with the Lions. You beat them by three. 
And then, you know, you got a big win beating the Vikings. That's well, impressive. Monday Night Football. That's impressive. You beat the Commanders. I mean, good for you. Congratulations. I mean, they're they're last in the division, but they're at 500 or 4-4. Four and four. Which is which is nuts how good that division is. It's nuts. It went from the NFC the least to the NFC most. It went from the least to the beast. There you See go. See what you did there? Oh yeah. There you go. There it is. You beat the Jags by eight. Okay. Jags have been pretty solid. Yeah. They're not winning, but they've been playing well. They yeah. Um you beat the Cardinals by three on a last second play. Okay, you know you you survived. That, that's well done. You beat the Cowboys. That was impressive. That was an impressive win because you were up what twenty six to three, and the Cowboys got a couple garbage time touchdowns late. No, they were up twenty to. Uh, they were up twenty to three at halftime. Twenty to three. Okay, so but then, but then Dallas scored a touchdown in the third, so they cut it to within ten, and then in the fourth quarter, Dallas scored one more touchdown. To try and get it close, but the Eagles were already up. And then you blew out the Steelers on Sunday. And now you got the Texans. Which, by the way, if you were ever going to play a four-day turnaround going from the Steelers to the Texans, you got a lucky draw there, my friend. You got a lucky draw there. And then they're, then they're the Saints who are getting one less day. or Well, they get, they get one extra day. But they're going to be going against the Ravens, who basically had a bye week. Right. Going from Thursday night football for week eight to now week nine's Monday night football. And then how do you go to <laughs> back-to-back primetime games? How do you go from Thursday night football against the Texans, then you get ten days in between before you play Monday night against the Commanders again? The Eagles might have the luckiest schedule. In the NFL. I mean, this back half is going to be rough. Colts, Packers, Titans, Giants, Col- Bears. Colts, Colts to me are like the Jags where they're like, meh. They did just fire their offensive coordinator. Which is interesting. And and a story that I you saw. You bench Matt Ryan f- for pretty much the whole year. Well, you see, you that's, fire the offensive coordinator. Well, you see, that's the thing. The story that I saw about him getting fired said that it had something to do with the quarterback change. I was so confused. I'm going to have to look deeper into it, obviously, but like... Naeem's, Naeem said, get me out of here. I've had enough. Was was there a miscommunication between the head coach and the offensive coordinator? Did Frank Wright say, hey, let's re-sign Matt Ryan? And offensive coordinator goes, hey, bitch him! Like, what happened? Or no, maybe the other way around. Maybe the offensive the, coordinator didn't want to bench him? Yeah. like uh, Maybe. Like, that's my guy. Like, don't get rid of him. Maybe interesting maybe there was an argument there because i don't i don't think the oc overpowers the gm and head coach but look here's the thing going going back to the eagles they could win every game or they could lose every game from here until new year's day they're going to get a win on new year's day the saints and it doesn't matter how good they are between now and then the saints suck against the eagles and they suck at Lincoln Financial. You know what's you know what in, intrigues me? Because we talk about how oh this game's just an automatic loss. Oh this one's just an automatic win. 
sometimes it, it, it happens a lot more with the Saints, it feels like. Maybe that's just because that's our main focus, but it, it feels like it, it happens with the Saints more than anyone else. Whenever we say, oh, this is going to be a loss, it always ends up being a win. And then when you're like, well, this this one's this one, you just count it up, you just draw it up as a dub, they lose. They end up losing. Yeah, it's true. Like, like a lot of people, I said that the Saints were going to lose to the Panthers because I had noticed Jameis's record against Carolina in his career, and it's not favorable by any stretch. So I was like, I think that's a loss. But everyone was like, oh, that's just an automatic win. And even when we got to week three where we were like, oh, there's the concerns. But it's like, it's the Panthers. They're they're on the verge of yeah. firing Matt Rule. No, it's true. And then, and then you see an automatic dud. And, I mean, a lot of people were low on the Saints last week. Even we were. I mean, there were definitely signs with Kamara calling out the team and saying, like, hey, we need to we need to get our you-know-what together. But we were still like, that. we think that this is just going to be a loss. And then what do they do? They shut out the Raiders, of all things. So it's like, as much as I think that they will lose and that because you've just seen the struggle the last couple of years against the Eagles and Lincoln Financial Field, you feel like, wow. Maybe, with how it's always been, maybe that's the game that, out of nowhere, because we've heard Foot at nauseum talk about it as well. Yep. We think, oh, that's just an automatic loss? What if that one's one of the wins, but you lose to, say, like, the Browns or another game late that you think that they're going to win? Because you look at it, you got Ravens, Steelers, because, like, what if they beat the Ravens, but they lose to the Steelers? God. That'd be so embarrassing. You would think they lose to the 49ers. But they know how to bottle up Christian McCaffrey pretty well. So, what if that one's a win? But they lose to, say, the Falcons at home? No. Don't don't you put that juju on me, Ricky Bobby. No. I'm just, I'm just saying. We always think that these are automatic wins, and that oh, these are I'm, automatic I'm, L's. I'm and with it, you. It always goes reverse. We don't lose to the Falcons. No, no. Did last year in New Orleans? I, that was a different team. They had Matt Ryan. That team, I was okay with. You don't lose to Marcus Mariota. No. I was gonna say, well, look, absolutely not. Look where, <laughs> look where Matt Ryan is now. Well, I'm still shocked by that. That's crazy to me. It is wild because you you made the trade for him and then you bench him not even halfway into the season. You you barely gave him a chance to learn the offense and you're benching him. Whatever. That's that's insane. Anyways, got to tell you about this new place. Well, not really a new place, but a, a place that James and I love. We call it Suit Up. It is fashion tuxedos and suits for all occasions, wedding party specials, even sportswear. You need a suit for a wedding, you need a suit for a funeral, you need a suit for a job interview, whatever it is. Suit Up has it for you. You just need a sports coat to wear on a nice date. They've got that for you too. Professional service, they're going to measure you every time to make you feel important and make sure it's a perfect fit. And they have three locations to serve you throughout southwest Louisiana. One in Lafayette on Ambassador Caffrey, one in New Iberia on Admiral Doyle, and now open in Lake Charles across from the Prion Lake Mall. Head to any of the three locations. Once again, tuxes, suits, wedding specials, sportswear. You're looking for southern marsh gear. You're looking for coastal cotton. You're just looking for a pair of dress shoes. Whatever you need... In menswear, Suit Up has it for you. Once again, three locations, Lafayette, New Iberia, and Lake Charles. 
And when you go, tell them that Miguez and Mesh sent you. We'll take a timeout here. And when we return, we will talk more about the NFL trade deadline. And I've also got a conspiracy theory involving the Brooklyn Nets. We'll do that next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know a smart speaker is only as smart as the person using it. You big dummy. Time for you to be smarter and ask your Alexa to enable the game skill. My boy's wicked smart. You can enable it by saying the game Southwest Louisiana. So be smart and have your Alexa play the best live and local sports talk around. All right, let's get it. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 56 years ago, the New Orleans Saints officially became a franchise. Fitting that it was on All Saints Day, huh? Think there was something to that? Hmm, maybe. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt guest James Mesh, 28, after the hour. I've got a conspiracy theory about the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know that it's much of a conspiracy theory, but I'm going to call it that. Um... So Steve Nash was fired this morning after two and a quarter seasons. I don't even know if it's been a quarter yet. I don't think they've played 20 games this year. Um, no. <laughs> so so two and a tenth, maybe. I don't know. I was going to say, you haven't even gotten to, yeah, about two and a, two and a ninth, two and a tenth. Two, two and because, a tenth. Because you're, you're eight games, six, seven, yeah. maybe eight games and, and on the team. That, that, those seven games have not gone well for Brooklyn. Uh, so Steve Nash has been fired as the head coach. Seven. Okay. I mean, I, I don't agree with the move, but, you know, whatever. couple hours later, Adrian Wojnarowski comes in and says, Ime Udoka has emerged as the likely Nets head coach, and his hiring could be finalized in the next 24 to 48 hours. Which sucks, because I really liked Ime. Not only does it suck because you're a Boston Celtics fan and you liked Ime. I really liked Ime. I mean, first year, you go to the finals with the dude. There's something very fishy about that happening so quickly. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, the fact that you're already done, like you're like, yeah, that's the guy. There's no, no, no. You've been talking to Adoka for weeks, if not months. You're probably talking to him as soon as the the suspension happened. That oh my god! Look, Ime, if, if we start off slow, we're gonna fire Steve Nash, and you're gonna be our guy. Like we'll just have an interim coach for this year. We'll throw this season out the window, and you can just come back and you can come to us in 2023. I don't know the exact timetable, but I mean, considering KD before the season was like trade me unless you get rid of the GM and the coach. There was probably a deal made there where it's like, look, pro- we're probably not going to be too good to start the season, so let's move. But you see- we'll, we'll, look, it's like, look, here, here's what we'll do for you. We'll get rid of, we'll get rid of Nash, use use him as a scapegoat, and then we'll bring in Udoka. How does that work? And Katie, Which is crap. Katie, Katie will be like, yeah. Which is crap. We can work with that. The fact <laughs> that players call... I don't give a damn who you are. The fact that players call the shots is crap. 
when you are a player, you are below a coach. A coach tells you what to do. A general manager tells you what to do. That is the hierarchy of the world. I mean, part of the reason why the the players have so much power is because you don't really have a salary cap. So you pay them whatever you want. And then because there's no restrictions on you trading them away whenever you feel willy-nilly. Which is why the salary cap in the NBA is going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing. You're going to see the coaches take more and general managers take more power. And I think that that's going to be a good thing to restoring good competitive basketball. It'll suck for the players that want to get out, but because of how the contract is, it's like we would take a huge dead cap if we got rid of you. So they kind of have to stay with it and be like, look, we're, we're not going to accept your uh, trade request. I mean, it's going to be unfortunate for some of those because it's like, look, I really want to get out of here. But the, the NFL's done it for years. Yeah, the MLB's done it for years. I mean, there's, there's no. Actually, I don't think the MLB has a salary cap. Have you seen some numbers that they've put up? I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, you re- called me re- off guard re- with regard, that one. I was regard, like, disregard what? that. Disregard that. Error, error. It but, was a misinput. But, but no. So something's fishy uh, about Brooklyn, and I, I think it's crap. But regardless. You know, I'm I'm a I'm an Ime Udoka fan. Uh, I think he fumbled the bag, uh, especially considering who who his wife was. So I mean, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But anyways, take a time out here. Apollo Des of Apollo H O U joins us. We're going to the moon. Could it be the last time for the 2022 season? Actually, it will be. So. We'll, we'll, we'll go to the moon one more time during the 2022 season right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkas and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is To the Moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Dez is game three of the World Series. Get excited, bro. <laughs> Let's go. Man, you know, I, I don't I don't know if it was the the delay last night or, or, or what. I'm I think I'm more hyped for game three than I was for either game one or game two. Yeah, I think it was a little reset, right? It allowed allowed the guys to get grounded. I'm glad they got BP yesterday. But as fans, I'm just like been been ready to rock and roll since yesterday. So um, it felt like these last five hours have been 50 days. So I, I can't wait for uh, first pitch in about 90 minutes. Let's go through these first two games. You know, game one, the, the 6-5 loss in extras. The the storyline of that one, obviously the offense played well, jumped out to that 5 nothing lead. But then you know the the defense and especially you know some some great attack by the the Philadelphia Phillies kind of leveled the playing field and then Romuto hits that home run in the tenth. Walk us through game one. Yeah, I was I was there at the stadium. The vibes were high and 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 everything was great until it wasn't. Um, but that's just the nature of baseball, right there. Justin Verlander just has this monkey on his back he can't shake and. 
Uh, it reared its ugly head. It looked great through three in that fourth inning. It just was, you know, hanging curveball after hanging curveball, some lucky hits, uh, some barrels, and then next thing you know, the game was tied. But uh, to see the guys bounce back, it was, it was great. But game one, I mean, it's a seven-game series. Obviously, we wanted we wanted the, the sweep and we wanted the, the history of it all, but um, maybe it was a wake-up call. And I, if, if you listen to Beyond the Dime with me, me and Lima, uh, this past week, he got to be in the, you know, the vibe was just like, hey, we're going to get the next one. And they got the next one. So this team's been there. They've lost they've lost World Series games before. They've won World Series games before. But um, I guess the biggest thing was just we got to see their top arms. We got to see their dogs. And, you know, we still, I think, hung five on Nola. So uh, you got to take the positives out of it and uh, move on. One and one out the best of five in Philadelphia starting tonight. And then game two was was a bounce back for the the Astros. Fromber was phenomenal. Jose Altuve yeah. started hitting the ball. You know, a, a lot of things just went. And then, I mean, Kyle Tucker. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I didn't want to say game two was a must win, but it was a must win. They executed, and um, Framber dazzled. Uh, obviously, he broke everyone's brains on the internet with all his fidgeting and all his ticks that he has. And if you've been watching the Astros all year, he's been doing that all year. All year and, long. Uh, his, his, his numbers, and, and we live in the day and age of all the data is there for you. And I think his RPMs are only up like 75 points, which is barely nothing. And you can chalk it up to adrenaline of being pitching in the World Series. It wasn't something that was, you know, 250, 300 RPMs that, you know, they were accusing him for the sticky stuff. But other than that, the seeing Altuve to have a three-hit day was huge, I think. Um, and, and not only just uh, knocked to left field. It was it was up the middle and to right field, and I think I think that base hit the right field fully makes me want to say that he is back. Uh, he he let the ball get deep, drove it the other way, and I expect a home run from him tonight. Maybe it's like second or third at bat. Does the delay last night, in your opinion, does it help Houston or does it hurt them? <clears throat> I think in the short term it helps uh, the Phillies more than it helps Houston. Um, just because they get to realign their rotation and they can pitch Nola now and Torres and they don't have to do the bullpen game till game five. Obviously, you would have thought they would have bring Wheeler back for game five, but I don't know if Wheeler's a little, you know, nicked up a bit where he has to get that extra rest for a reason. But um, I think the short term, it, it helps Philly and the long term, it helps Astros just because they can showcase their depth. I mean, they're going to roll, you know, Lance Javier in theory, uh, Justin Verlander, game five, Framber, and then Lance again. So it, it, those five names, there's three. There's got to be three wins in there somehow, some way to find that. Um, but I, I think that you kind of the Phillies dodgeable by really seeing two bullpen games, and now they only have one if, if they don't jump on Suarez or or Noah uh, over the next two days. Talked about Lance going tonight for the Astros. It's been a long time since he's pitched in the Fall Classic. You know what are your what are your expectations tonight and. In your opinion, how excited do you think he is for the opportunity? Lance McCullers Jr. is a dog, and I expect a big performance out of him. Uh, will he have his you know, walks? Probably. Uh, will he have his strikeouts? For damn sure. But what you get with Lance McCullers Jr. is a primetime pitcher in primetime game, and you can't ask for anything better. And look, everyone's talking about this Philly crowd. Everyone's talking about how they've never heard anything like this. Lance McCullers just pitched against Seattle and they had their first playoff game in 20-something-plus years, and they were loud, never faced them. He pitched in the Bronx. He's pitched 
in LA right after right after the All Star break and uh, LA post scandal and just through a gym. So these moments, I think he just steps up and thrives off it and lives off it. Uh, we talked to him yesterday, and the guy he was just amped. Like he was just so so dialed in and amped. And I think honestly, I think the delay helped out, let him cool off a little bit because he was so amped up. I think we're going to see a real veteran performance out of Lance McCullers Jr. tonight because he lives for these moments, and there's not a better big-game pitcher than him. Talked about Altuve having a great game, too, which was obviously vital for, for this team, but it's hard for me to say that you know postseason Altuve is back. Yeah, I think that's fair, but I, all we need is a, a good Jose Altuve for, for five games, and I'll take that. And so, at the end of the day, throw it all out. It's it's a best of five right now. Um, And it starts, the offense goes through Jose Altuve. And, yes, there's Alex Bregman, who's my MVP of October. Yes, there's Kyle Tucker. Yes, there's the emergence of Jeremy Pena. But when Jose Altuve gets it going, this team finds another just level to it. And to see him have those at-bats, those competitive at-bats, I think it's a great thing. And with it being a best of five series, it doesn't matter if you went over 40. Now it's what you do now going forward. And I, I think that, you know, I, I called a big fly already. I just, I, I just, I'm glad to see that the Philly faithful are probably going to give them a, a, you know, an FL two bay chant or whatever. And that just, you know, riles them up to, to perform. Chat with Apollo Des, you know, talked about Pena and Tucker. How about both of those guys getting named golden glove winners earlier today? Like the golden boys. But I mean, would you? If we would have talked about this, you know, in spring training, I, I maybe would have said Kyle Tucker. But I would not have said Pena. Jeremy, the emergence of Jeremy Pena has been special, yeah, and, yeah. and to get a Gold Glove your first year is is amazing. Yeah. And, and Tucker obviously has been knocking on the door for a bit. Um, he finally got his, but you know, they're uh, they're gonna make some money here in the, in the short short future. Yeah, first rookie shortstop to ever win. A gold glove, very impressive from the young man Jeremy Pena. Going back, you know, talking about guys that really need to step up in this batting order. Jordan Alvarez has been kind of quiet in, in in the postseason, except for you know that big RBI that he had at the beginning of, of Game Two the other night. Uh, you know, when, when are we going to see some big theatrics from Jordan? Yeah, I think I think if there was ever time to get off the schneid to be the night facing a rookie lefty. Um, oh. The, the whole stigma of lefty-lefties, it's, it's different now in the new age of base, baseball. Jordan hits the cover off the baseball facing lefties. I think he's, his OPS, career OPS against lefties, like 976 or something just crazy. And uh, so I, I think there's an opportunity for him to, to get some bases. Anytime he connects, right, it's going to go a long way. So um, I, I really liked his at-bats in game two. Obviously, he had that double really early on. Uh, in game two, but the rest of those at bats were really seemed more relaxed and not as pressed. Um, so hopefully, it carries over into into today, and and we see Jordan Alvarez just become a terror. Trey Mancini is a guy that I was, you know, really happy that the Astros acquired in the trade deadline. Came off the the deadline those first couple of games and really performed well. And then you know, ever since then, it's kind of hit the earth pretty hard. Uh, does he su- yeah. does he surprise some people and maybe make an impact on the backstretch of this series, or is he done in Houston? Uh, I don't want to count him out, but it just seemed, and I, I think Dusty really highlighted it in his post post conference 
And he was like, hey, I've given this guy all the chances, you know, and, and now you have David Hensley starting in the DH spot because the DH has just been a black hole offensively in, in, the, in the playoffs. And so um, having, having David Hensley start his first, his first time at DH in the playoffs as a rookie is, is pretty insane. But the guy takes great at-bats. He's 26 years old. He's not, you know, fresh out of college. He's been grinding. Uh, he's got mad pop. I think he's a six-six Ben Zobris. So uh, I think it's his spot now. And if Trey gets in that bat, it'll be you know kind of kind of early in the game. I don't think he's your late bat. I think still Diaz is, and then even Vasquez over Trey. But you never know. Baseball finds its way, and it'd be really poetic if, if Trey got himself one and uh, helped us get a World Series along the way. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, you talked earlier about McCullers going tonight. I know Christian Javier hasn't thrown yet in the World Series, but with that delay and with that extra game of rest, I have to ask, who do you think pitches game four? Yeah, I think it's going to be Christian Javier. Um, I, I I think you roll with what you have. You keep the guys on routine. Um, and, look, Javier's one of the best arms, maybe the best arm we have. And he's your number four guy, and – I think he has incredible stuff, and the way he spins it, I think it attacks attacks the Philly lineup really well. So I, I think you roll with him no matter what. Game four, and then game five is your uh, your question mark if you if you decide to pitch Justin Verlander or not. Now looking at, can the, you believe that we're we're debating if we're going to pitch Justin Verlander in, in game five of the World Series? I know it, it's crazy, but like, like you said earlier, he just got this monkey that he can't seem to shake. Yeah, um, you know. Looking at the the three games in Philly tonight, tomorrow, and Thursday, in your mind, how many do the Astros need to win? I think two. Um, I, I think tonight is is advantage Houston. Uh, game four, Javier Nola is probably going to be half Philly favored just with how nasty Nola is. Uh, obviously, that's no disrespect to Christian Javier because he's we we all seen it. He just doesn't have the the name and the accolades of it all. Um, and then game five sets up to if it's Framber or it's JV against the bullpen game. So um, I think it's imperative for Houston to take two. Can they take three? Yes, but uh, two two is huge. Uh, one, I'd be greatly disappointed, um, but one gets you back to Houston. So let's win tonight and then figure out uh, the rest tomorrow. Yeah, you know, you really, you really want to see him lift that trophy in H-Town, right? Yeah, I mean, I just want to see him lift it regardless. If well, it's in Philly, it's in of Philly. course. Yeah, um, obviously, it being in the H would be sweet. But at this point, like, I'm just, I just, I just want to win, and I, the boys want to win. They seem dialed. Um, I, I think I, I talked to some of them, and we were talking about the delay, and they're like, "Hey, Montero and Presley got extra days off." Yeah, you know, as that, well. And, that's and huge. I was like, "Oh, that's huge. That's their mindset." They're like, "Our our dogs got another day off." So. Um, they're dialed. I've been saying it all year. I've never seen a group of, uh, of baseball players like this just ready to to treat it like a business trip. It's, it's game through the World Series, and they're treating it like a business trip. And it's not. They're not getting caught up in the, you know, the theatrics of, of what the fall classic is. Apollo Dez of Apollo Hou joining us for To the Moon. Dez, we've enjoyed it. Uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time each and every week. Go enjoy the rest of the World Series, and we'll talk next Tuesday to recap it all. Yes, sir. Let's go, Strohs. Tune in next week for another edition of To the Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. 
from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Start off NFL Week 9 off right with a no-sweat same-game parlay from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or if you already have an account. You'll get free bets back if your Thursday night same-game parlay doesn't hit. NFL same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. A quick parlay that I made is the Eagles money line, a Devontae Smith anytime touchdown, and then a Damian Pierce anytime touchdown. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same-game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet on the NFL on Thursday night with a no-sweat same-game parlay. Just sign up with promo code KLWB if you don't already have an account, but if you're with FanDuel already, you're all set. Just sign in and see what you got. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana. Permitted parish is only 3-plus leg minimum $1 bet required. Refund issued is not withdrawable free bets that expires seven days after the receipt. Max free bet $5. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Do you remember at the beginning of last year when the Dolphins and the Niners made a trade for the Niners to move up to the number three spot and they took Trey Lance? Yeah. So, cool, they got Trey Lance, right? Who they thought would be their franchise quarterback, but now they're regretting getting immensely. Okay, cool. The uh, the Dolphins got three first-round picks out of the Niners for that trade. And, of course, you know, this is via some other trades that those three picks were involved in, blah, blah, blah. This is who the Dolphins ended up with. They drafted Jalen Waddle. They acquired Tyreek Hill. And today, they acquired Bradley Chubb. You're I, talking about with the three picks that correct. they got from, from Laramie Tunsil. Cor- no. Huh? The picks they got from the Trey Lance deal. Who won that trade? I believe it was the Miami Dolphins. want to thank our guest, Luke Johnson, Trey Frazier, and Apollo Dez for joining us. Appreciate James Mesh and everything he does. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. The Houston Astros Game 3 of the World Series is tonight, and you can catch it all right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.